One true reason for this season. <clears throat> you know, it's funny, stories are what make up our lives. I mean, the uh, stories are our experiences, and in our experiences come connections. So this is what creates, even this time of year, we see people in our lives that we haven't seen for a long time. So for me, typically Christmas looks like, you know, me getting together with family. We maybe haven't seen each other for months or even over an entire year due to circumstances. So we come together and we tell stories. And somewhere in those stories, we talk about these connections of life experience that we've had. Are you with me? So we tell these weird stories about throwing a sandwich between cars at 75 miles per hour going down an interstate, right? And my mother leaves the room because she's still so embarrassed at the things that we did when we were a little bit younger. And so uh, there are these stories that make up our life and we laugh, we cry, and that's what life is really made up of, these stories. Well, in that, there's, there's this one story. And this, this one story kind of defines all stories. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, whether it's history past or history present, there's one story that changes the landscape of every story. But, but stories are kind of funny. We see them a lot this time of year. So example, anybody in this room, raise your hand here. If you, do you write a Christmas letter, send it out, anyone? I saw someone this year, they posted on Facebook, you've seen my life all year, Merry Christmas, right? Like, <laughs> done, Christmas card written. Uh, you know, my grandmother, she sends us Christmas cards. And about five years ago, we, we began to really anticipate her cards because you just never know what she's going to write in the card. And so um, she's, uh, so five years ago, she wrote this Christmas card. Now, early, early in the fall that year, she'd had a fall. And in that fall, she'd kind of cut her head open. And so now, just to give you a little texture of my grandmother, she has like, 182 grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Maybe not that many, but lots. I mean, lots and lots of family. And we spend lots of time with her. Whenever we go back, we spend time with Grandma Bert and, I mean, all these different people. So lots of pictures to choose from to put on this Christmas letter. But Grandma Bert chose the one in a wheelchair with her head wrapped in gauze from her fault. (laughs) And rather than... Sorry, I get really tickled when I talk about my Grandma Bert, so... Anyway, super funny. Uh, stop, okay, I'm going to laugh really hard. And so, and so she sends this card. And instead of telling the grand swoop of her year, you know, her Daniel O'Donnell concerts and all these things. Anybody know who Daniel O'Donnell is? Anyway, she does. She's like a groupie. And uh, he's an Irish singer. And uh, she travels places where Daniel O'Donnell sings, and she's done all, she does all kinds of fun things. But instead, she chose, she chose to tell about one, like, two-day period of her entire year and, and some things that her cats have done this past year. That's my grandmother's. And so we, we never, it's like, like, it's fun to get the $25 that she sends us every year, um, all of the kids and all the grandkids, and it's really sweet but her story is priceless, right? And every year she sends us these great stories. Well, in the text that we're gonna read today, it's kind of this, like how do you tell the whole thing? You know, the, the, the whole story, the, the whole birth, all the comp- contemplations of Mary and Joseph. And so we have kind of two gospels that give the big picture idea. And so Matthew gives a big picture idea, but it's this kind of shorter, like highlights and details of it. 
And then Luke gives even kind of a, it gives a bigger picture of it, but still it's highlights and details because how do you write a book on every single little detail? It's, it's impossible. And so, but we have snapshots into the life and the story of how Jesus came. And so this week, we're going to talk about the, the journey of Mary and Joseph. And next week, we're going to look at the arrival of Jesus. So again, this week is the journey, the journey of Mary and Joseph, and the next week, um, the arrival of Jesus. So if you will, turn with me to Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Um, the first book in the, Old, in the New Testament, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It'll be on the screens and there's a Bible in the seat ahead of you. If you, want to, if you will, this morning with me, stand as we read God's word in honor and reverence. <clears throat> Reads, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet 750 years prior, Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, would you speak to us today and continue to speak to us through your word. Lord, un unveil, Lord, that which you have for us. Lord, anoint me, use me, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this story, the, there's, there's kind of threefold journey that we're going to look at that Mary and Joseph went on. And the first was not the journey of, of kind of the travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The first that we're going to look at is the journey of their hearts. Because there was this internal struggle and this internal journey that Mary and Joseph went on to embrace the, the plan of God to be fulfilled in their life. And so, again, it was a multifaceted journey for Mary and Joseph. And the first was the journey of their hearts. They found themselves caught up in a much bigger story than themselves. So what's important about this kind of story is Matthew 1, kind of the first verses down to 17 is going to give a genealogy. Now, genealogies are a bit of a tricky spot in scripture. Raise your hand if you've ever skipped one when you're reading your Bible, okay? You are terrible people. And so, uh, uh, and so just kidding. And so, so th there's these genealogies and we, we look at them and they don't always make sense because we don't know who they are and we can't pronounce their names. By the way, if you want to figure out how to do this, this is what preachers do. Just say it fast and confidently and you'll be right. And so, so, so we, we look at all these genealogies and try to go through them, but, but listen to what it says. Verse 17, so all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And so that's the summary, 117. But, but here's what Matthew is saying. Matthew is saying, hey folks, 
This is reality. This isn't a myth. This isn't a story. This isn't a, Rudolph, this isn't a reindeer with a red nose. This isn't a myth. This isn't a once upon a time. This is actual history. And an actual man that came into this world, unique, different, one of a kind, from a lineage in which had been promised all the way back in Genesis 12, Abraham. That Jesus really came, that this is a reality. And so Matthew is, is kind of like, kind of getting on his stump early in the text and he writes the genealogy saying, listen up, this is real, this is true, this happened. Now, you think, why is that so important? Well, I think we live in a day where the reality of Jesus is challenged everywhere, all the time. And I'm going to guess that somewhere in the minds of those in the room today, you've asked yourself, is this true? I'm not asking you to raise your hand on that one. Because there are seeds of doubt constantly put into our minds of a real historical Jesus. There is more historical proof of Jesus than all of the well-known leaders that have ever been in time in history. Jesus is referred to over the ages and ages and ages, even in ancient documents as we have of, of the Old Testament scripture, of the prophecies of one to come, even that he would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus is real. And what Matthew is saying is there's a reality that Jesus is coming. So Mary and Joseph, they found themselves in a unique bloodline with the savior of the world who would be born and live and die. And so they get this information that this one who had been prophesied about from generation to generation to generation that would come from the bloodline of David, all of a sudden these two hear this news that you're the ones. You're going to be the ones to bring the Savior into the world. And so in this moment, there was this unique thing happening inside of Mary and Joseph. Now, two things that we know about Mary and Joseph is that they were righteous, that they were, they were just people. And they had been chosen for a very specific reason. And we could use this word, they were holy people. Not in their own merit, but they were, they were holy people. They revered God highly. They were faithful to God. And we see that from the text of Scripture. We read it that... that, that that, he, that Joseph was a just man. And from Luke, we see that Mary was a godly young woman. Remember a few years ago, maybe some of you have heard me say this, I, I interviewed uh, a man's wife, Heather Olford. Her husband was Stephen Olford. In 1942, Billy Graham wrote that, that Stephen Olford taught me how to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Right, so pretty significant guy, Stephen Olford. He preached for years and years and years, wrote books on preaching. Um, I met him um, a few years before he passed away. And I, was, I actually was a part of the Stephen Olford Institute at one point in my life. And I, I interviewed Heather, his wife. And I said, if you could just tell me one thing that sticks in your mind most that you, that, that you would say about Stephen Olford. She paused just for like a second. She goes, oh, he was a holy man. That was it. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't explain him any other way. She said, he was a holy man. And I think what was so shocking about her statement, well, one was, I felt unholy to even like be hearing it in some way. And I thought to myself, man, I hope, I hope that's what someone might say about me. Maybe Debbie would say that about me when, because I'm going to die before she does. Uh, this is easier that way for me. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, just, I'm just saying, and so, 
Just, uh, I love her so much. It's so hard. And so, uh, and so, um, sorry. So I, I heard that and I thought, I mean, I hope somebody would say that about me. But, but here's the thing. I think the reason it was so shocking is because it's so rare. And so even understanding the story of Mary and Joseph about these holy people that God chose for a holy task, it's sometimes hard to even see because of the rarity of it. It's not the first time in history that this has happened, that this has been a rare thing. I hope even maybe in a small way in this, it gives us a bit of a push to pursue a holier life. Jesus said, or it says in the Old Testament and New Testament, be holy as I am holy. So these holy people, right, they found favor with God. And in their favor, God came to them and they confirmed it. Angels came to both of them. And so Mary was in this moment that she found out she was with child, but she was not married yet. And God came to her and said that, that, that in me is your seed and from me will become the save, from you will come the savior of the world, a holy and divine one, not just of flesh and blood, but of divinity. And Mary contemplated, pondered these things. And then in Luke, you can read it on your own. We'll read it next week. She, she, her, her heart exploded with joy. And she worshiped God that he had chosen her for this incredible thing that he has been doing in time and history. And in her will come the savior of the world. So then Joseph. Joseph had heard now that that which he is betrothed to is pregnant, and he has never been with her. He contemplates this. Joseph, being a just man, which, by the way, he could have buried her. He had enough information that he could have buried Mary. But he was a just man. And even when he thought he had her, or maybe he could have justifiably done something, he doesn't, which shows the honor and the character and dignity I wish this is like, listen to this. This is like this important statement. Just because you can take someone down doesn't mean you should. And it shows a lack of character if you do. Honestly, when the Lord, like as I was looking this week, there was this like, Lord said to me, shut your mouth. More. Nobility, just men, don't take people out because they can right? There's, there's a way in which we go about things. And we see that inside of Joseph here. And so Joseph, in this moment, he heard from God. He was an honorable. He heard the news, but he didn't bury her. He resolved to absolve their betrothal in quiet, which was betrothal. It's like they were already married. But then God came to him and an angel came to him and gave him instructions to name this child Jesus. He heard from God. God confirmed that this was real, that this was him. The reality was that the divine one was coming through his wife and he was about to become the adopted father of the God on high of Jesus Christ himself. And so what was Joseph's response? He worshiped and he obeyed. He said, God, this is incredible that you've asked me to be a part of this bigger journey, this bigger thing with you that has been prophesied from generation to generation to generation that my wife and I, we are going to be entrusted with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in awe. 
See, the journey of their hearts, it was a journey of hearing. They, they heard from God. Not only did they hear from God, but they believed him. In their hearts, they believed him. And in their belief, they worshiped. And they, they worshiped him in their belief. And then they moved forward and they obeyed the voice of God in its connection to reality. The voice of God had spoken and the journey their hearts was allowing a reality to grip them. So the reality for them was that the Son of God was coming and they were going to parent the Son of God. They worshiped God in light of what he'd said. But there's a reality for us. There's a reality for us that Jesus really did come. There's this guy that I've spent time with for years in Guatemala and he's this guy that some of you have heard me talk about him. He's a man named Caesar and Caesar has this degenerative disease where his bones are fusing together and he's been laid up in a bed probably for 15 plus years now. But when you go in to meet Caesar, he'll quote 140 verses and he'll preach for two and a half hours and you're just kind of in awe of this moment as you hang out with Caesar. But there's a thing he always prays and I've been, in, I've been with him in kind of that setting 20 plus times. But he always says one thing and it's always this very peculiar statement. He prays and in his prayer he says, Jesus you are the most honored guest in this room today. Thank you for your presence. See, the presence of Jesus is a reality. Like right now in this room, Jesus is the most honored guest in this room. He's not distant. He's not far away. He's not dead. He's not in a tomb. He's risen. He's exalted. He's on high. He's living. He's working. He's moving. See, there's this reality that there is a mission. There's a journey that God has for each of us. And it's a journey that we must embrace in our hearts that, that our God really came, that he really died, that he really rose, that he really is exalted. He really is the Lord of Lords. He really is the King of Kings. And he is asking me to go on a journey filled with him, letting him, as we said last week, be born in me, that I might live this out in the day-to-day -day of my life. There's a journey for us. And the journey begins in our hearts of bracing the, embracing the reality of a risen savior and a risen king. See, the voice of God has spoken. Christ is here with us. But how our hearts respond to God exposes what we believe about God. Or you could say how our response, how our, how our hearts respond to go on this journey expose what we really believe. Do we believe in a risen savior? Do we believe in reality he came? Do we believe that he was divine? Do we believe these things? And this causes us to live in a different way. For Mary and Joseph, it did. They believed. And in their belief, they obeyed and they lived this out. It was a journey of their hearts. And for us, it's a journey of our hearts. Hearing, believing, obeying. But see, I also believe that we live in a world that is fairly busy. Anybody, anybody in the room feel like their life is overly busy? Raise your hand, anybody. Anybody around here? You, you ask people, how's it going? What, what's, the, what's, what's the response? Busy, right? We're, we're just busy. And, and we're, we're busy all the time in our lives, and it's, it's a reality for us. And so inside of your bulletin, there's a card. And if you grab it, if you want to right now. It's called Making Space, and it's a sermon series that we're starting December 31st, and so I want to kind of prime you for this, and so one of the hard things about this journey of our hearts is we don't have a lot of space, and what we see with Mary and Joseph, there was space, 
where God spoke to them, where God appeared to them, where God revealed to them. And I think for us, in the same way, God wants to reveal some things to us. But our lives are overly busy. And so on that card, we're going to have 40 days of prayer and fasting. And so how this is going to work is 40 days of prayer and fasting is we're going to commit to pray for something. And so maybe for you, you're just going to write down, I want God to speak to me, right? And so you're going to write that and you're going to open his word and you're going to read it and he's going to speak to you and he's going to specifically tell you some things over 40 days. I believe he can do that. Maybe you're going to pray for a family member, for yourself, for a friend, whatever, but, but you're going to write on it. This is what I'm going to pray for. It can be a lot of things. And then underneath that, this is what I'm going to fast from. Now, if you want to go hardcore, go for it. See your dietitian first. You can just drink water and fast from food and everything for 40 days. Some people have done that. I'm not doing that, but you could do that. Um, but this is simply creating space. And so you may say, I'm going to fast from some sleep. So I'm going to commit to get up an hour before I normally do to spend time with God. And I'm going to commit to be a little bit more tired, but a little bit more or a lot of bit more full of the Lord over the next 40 days. Maybe it's, and this may sound crazy, hear me out. Maybe you spend a ton of time on Facebook. And I know some of you do because you reply really fast to stuff all the time, right? And it's like this like addictive toy that's just always in front of us. And so maybe you just say, hey, I'm going to fast from Facebook and I'm going to make some space in my life. What I, when I would have been doing that, I'm going to spend it with, with God. Maybe it's lunch. Maybe you're going to fast from lunch for 40 days and you're just going to take that time and you're going to spend it with the Lord. But, but in this, we need space in our lives to figure out this deeper journey of our hearts so that we can be even more deeply committed to the Lord. And so take those with you on December 31st. Come, we're going to launch that series. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I believe God's going to do a great thing in our lives. And we're going to have a ton of great stories to tell of how he's moved. And so, so fill that out, contemplate over it, pray over it. And wouldn't it be great to make a, a, this is a really great New Year's resolution, isn't it? I'm going to spend the first 40 days of 2018 intently making space for the God on high to speak into my life. So the second thing that we see of Mary and Joseph wasn't just a journey of their hearts, it was a journey of their feet. The the journey was, was real. They had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem was significant It was rough terrain, it was hills, it was valleys, and the the mileage was 75 plus miles to go from here to there. And so in this journey, they they went, and it was, again, a journey that was one of circumstance and another of providence. Circumstance was the hardship and the terrain and the society and the government and the culture that surrounded them. But the providence was Bethlehem, because in Micah, it's prophesied that the Savior of the world would be born in a remote place that no one knew, knew about or no one really cared about. But this is where Jesus was born. So their reason for their journey, a census needed to be taken, we see in Luke. A census needed to be taken. This was a common thing to do because the government at that time was probably one of the most corrupt governments in all time in history. 80 plus percent of your income would have been taxed. The Herod was such a ruthless leader because he was neurotic. Anyone that would come after him, anyone that he even thought might take the throne, kill them all. And this was kind of his MO. He just, he just killed people just so he wasn't ever threatened. He was neurotic to every level. He was a narcissist to the end. Meaning that as they walked on their journey, a little bit of texture, they probably walked by crucified men outside of cities. 
because Herod wanted everyone to know that I'm not playing. You better play right or you die. It was a time of unprecedented oppression, unprecedented trial, and unprecedented struggle. Everyone was poor. Everyone was exploited. Everyone had rough kind of contours to their life. And so the journey of their feet went down this road of control and and oppression. And as they walked down the road, they had rough terrain and rough roads to go. And the, the oppression, their poverty would have been seen everywhere. Their reality was that the journey was hard. But for them, the journey had meaning and it had purpose in a way that maybe they didn't even fully know is that the promises of God were about to be fulfilled of the prophecy of Micah 5, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. You know, often for us, the conditions around our lives are challenging. The conditions that surround us never should stop us between this unique blend of God's providence and our obedience in life. Now, most of us that are gathered here today, our lives kind of can feel like a grind from day to day. For our house, it might look like this. You intended to get up a little bit earlier, but someone was up a little bit later than you wanted to, and so you wanted to be, and so you slept in a little bit past the alarm when you got up to someone crying in the house, to which then you had to figure out who it was that was crying and then go take care of them. And then you have to get everyone's lunches made and get everyone out. And then you go, and for me, and then I go into the schedule of the day and you begin to move through that. And then this happens or something else happens that changes your plans here and you have to coordinate your calendar there. And anybody with me, is this your life? Like there's these challenges to your life. Now you may not have a child waking you up, but, but life can become a grind a little bit. And you put five, six, seven, eight, two, three, ten years of that together and life can be just a grind and the grind can take us over. And I, I have to think that there was a grind in Mary and Joseph's life that was very, very challenging just because of the context and the culture they were in. But even for us today, there's a grind in our life. But see, I, I believe that in the promises of God, there was something else happening inside of Mary and Joseph that is available to us. There was this other thing happening and there was this, right, this grit inside of them. There was this grit inside of them that they were going to be faithful to their God. They were going to be faithful to government. They were going to be faithful. They were going to be just. They were going to be holy. They were going to be righteous. And in, in the midst of that, they were going to go. And in the midst of the grind and the hardship, they had enough to get through it because God was with them, that God was alongside of them, that God had them, that he was going to take care of them, that he was going to minister to them, that he was going to plow the way for them. And church, hear me on this. You might be living in a grind of life, but God's got you and he is with you. And in you, he gives gives you enough grit to get through the day to day. You don't have to live in the mundane. You don't have to live in the pointless. You don't have to live in the routines that kind of exist without God. But with him, he can take you on this journey through life, not just through the normal things, but sometimes through the deep and heavy and hard things. But in him, he gives us this and in him alone. And I know that if I opened it up right now and say, hey, last year, could you just tell me, anyone, raise your hands, if, if God has got you through something you didn't think you were gonna get through. And I know it because I've walked through it with many of you where you thought, I, we can't get through this. I don't know how this is gonna happen, but guess what? Your story today is, God had us. 
We didn't even see the things he was doing, but he did something significant. He gave us hope. He gave us peace. He gave us people when we didn't have peace that had peace and had hope, and they helped us have peace and hope. Our providential God works in amazing ways as we walk in obedience, and this strange mix from our obedience and his providence makes this really great thing called his great movement in this world. The church, I just say to you today, let the story of Mary and Joseph just tell you, God's got you. God loves his people, and he will fulfill his promises through us as we take this journey with him. This isn't a story of my journey. This is his journey. He's doing a greater work in us. He is doing a greater work through us. So we see the journey of their feet, right? But we also see the journey of their faith. Faith is defined in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not yet not seen. Again, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the convictions of things not seen. They believed God, the one in which they could not see, and their journey had just begun. The salvation of mankind was being carried across this rugged terrain, the word made flesh, the light of the world, the bread of life, the I am, the water of life. God himself in flesh was about to be born in Bethlehem. They believed in the assurance that God had given that God had given and what could be hoped for. They had conviction toward that which they had not yet seen. Mary and Joseph were people living in faith. See, it is only by grace that we are saved. And see, this is what's really important about this story. Because even Mary and Joseph would be saved through the blood of their own son. Because sins can only be covered through the blood of Jesus. It is only by grace we are saved. And the hero of the story, the hero of this story, is not Mary. The hero of this story is not Joseph. But the hero of the story is Jesus. And Jesus is the hero of every story. See, every good story, I think, has Jesus at the epicenter. Now, for years, I... I've taken mission teams all over the world. And one really critical thing you have to be able to do when you leave the country and you go to do work, and I'd just argue one of the great things if you don't know how to do this well yet is, is learn to, to, to share your story, to share what God has done. We call it a testimony, we call it a story, whatever, however you want to say it. But this greater work that Jesus has done to me, how do I articulate that to someone else? And so I, I remember my first kind of few rounds of like developing these stories. And I would sit with a student and they would go, um, yeah, so been in church my whole life. Um, at 12, um, I prayed a prayer and uh, I've done some bad stuff. Oh, let me tell you about the bad stuff. I did this, I did this. They're kind of laughing and snickering at their bad stuff and kind of how awesome they were because they could do this, no one else couldn't. And they're like, yeah, but you know, Jesus saved me. And you kind of hear it and you're like, ah that doesn't sound like Jesus is the hero of your story. Like, I don't, I don't really know what you did. And so then we'd like, hey, let's crack at this. And so we'd start talking about their life. And maybe in their story, Jesus really was a hero. They just couldn't articulate it quite yet. But sometimes it was, they were the hero of their stories. It was the stories of, I was a good athlete. I'd done this, I'd done that, I'd done this, I'd done that. But I think a real testimony, a real story, this story, the story of scripture is, there's a hero and the hero is not me or you. And the hero isn't anybody else in this book. It's not David. 
It's not Abraham. It's not Noah. Right? Those aren't the heroes. It's not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. They're not the heroes. It's not Solomon. Definitely not Solomon. Definitely not Saul. Definitely not a lot of people that we read about, or anybody in Scripture, but the hero. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. Because Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose. And Jesus has ascended to on high. And he has made a way to God that no one can make on their own. See, the journey of their faith was the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. You can't always touch it. You can't always feel it. You can't always taste it. But there's a reality that Jesus really came, that he really died, he really lived a perfect life. And Jesus, Jesus is the true hero of all the stories because through him I have received grace. No matter what happens in life, you can truly say, no matter what circumstances, no matter what things shape, that it's, it's well. It's okay, no matter what hardship, no matter what trial. And so I say it like this. See, the, the story, the greatest story ever told, see, every story that I read, I, I read multiple stories every night to my kids. I typically like short ones, uh, just saying. Uh, like Goodnight Moon, that's my favorite book. And so, uh, <clears throat> but all of them end pretty much the same with what I just said, the end. But this story is different than those stories because this story hasn't ended yet. And the beginning didn't happen at the birth. The beginning happened not in the garden. The beginning happened with God in holy existence alone. And then the creator God made all things, including you and me. And then we rebelled against him and said, you will not be the ruler of our lives. You do not have our best interest in mind. We can go at this better than you. So what Adam and Eve did, and that's ultimately, I think, what you and I do. But God loved us so much, they began to make these promises. And these promises were, I'm going to send one. He's coming. David's a good king. He's not the true king. He's a good prophet, not, not the prophet of prophets. We saw kings and prophets, but everyone failed. But then the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he came. He was born in Bethlehem. And he lived a perfect, holy, and righteous life. He was arrested in the garden. He was beaten and bruised. He was hung on a cross. And on that cross, he died and was buried in a borrowed tomb. But in that borrowed tomb, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, defeated death, and was exalted to on high. And in that moment of his exaltation, these men were in a room and they were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then in that room, Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began and unleashed a movement this world has never seen. And this movement is this great work of our God that is continuing on today. Now there will be an end to this story and the end will be when Jesus returns and makes a new heaven and a new earth. But until then, there's a journey that he is not just inviting Mary and Joseph on, but he's inviting us on into this real story, the story that changed everything, the story that is changing everything. And we have been invited in to this great, grand, wonderful story of our God. 
And today, I believe he's simply asking us to take a journey with our hearts, to take a journey with our feet, to take a journey with our faith as Mary and Joseph did. And as we do, we will, we will begin, we will continue to fulfill the purposes God has for us as we walk in this world, just as Mary and Joseph fulfilled the promises God had for them. Now, they're unique. Mary and Joseph are unique, to say the least, in the story. But they're not the heroes of the story. Jesus. Jesus is the hero of heroes. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your love for us, for your word. Jesus, we're grateful that even in our doubts and our fears, that you're with us, that you're bigger than our, than, than, than our doubts and our fears. Lord, we recognize that our lives are overly busy, that we don't create enough space and margins in our life to hear from you and to obey you. Lord, would you, would you help us in this next season to do that? Lord, would you, would you help us to begin this journey of our hearts, of you pressing in deeper into us, speaking to us, leading us, guiding us as we live our lives for you. Lord, help us with our feet to go as you would have us to go, to walk in obedience and character in the moment to moment and the day by day. That we might be faithful to you that we might honor you and that we might live with the fullness of your presence in us day to day. And Lord, would you give us faith? Would you give us greater faith to move forward with you for your greater purposes? Jesus, we understand that life times Lord, we just, we just say to you, our lives feel overwhelming at times. But Jesus, with you, no matter what comes, no matter what struggle, no matter what strife, you have us and you care for us as we walk down this journey with you. Lord, would your peace overwhelm us? Help us to respond well to your word, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.